0: years ago, my art practice, I would have studied in the Crawford and Cork, I would have studied sculpture. It was very, very traditional back then, very much about object making, metal, wood and stone. And uh, and then I left uh, and went to Belfast to pursue an MA. And I worked with uh, a very good professor there, uh, Alice McLennan, who's a performance artist. And he kind of uh, opened my eyes to uh, contemporary practices and uh, multimedia practices. And then when I finished that, I, I kind of went on a wander around Europe. I did a fellowship in Rotterdam and then ended up eventually in Glasgow working as a community artist around the time when Glasgow was a host for the European City of Culture. And that really began a kind of a complete shift in my work uh, towards uh, what we now call social engagement or socially engaged art practice. But I've, I'd always had a kind of an interest in the the role that kind of emerging technologies were playing in art practice and contemporary art practice. And also I was kind of conflicted because I used to play a lot of traditional Irish music. You know, sometimes I'd get fed up of making art and I'd go and play music and then I'd get fed up of playing music and I'd go back and make art. I was always trying to figure out how could you combine both. I came across Michael when I when I moved to Limerick in '96. I moved back to Limerick to start working in the art school and Michael was uh, part of the Interaction Design Centre in UL. He and a number of others had organised a, a brilliant conference on computer generation music which I knew absolutely nothing about at the time and went along to the conferences and was kind of wowed by, by the, the presentations of what was possible and then really Michael and myself uh, started talking after that and I had a, an idea that was sitting in my sketchbook going absolutely nowhere. That idea became the first project we worked on, which was uh, Blayne Le Bostock, A Year With Rain.
1: Fantastic. And that was right back in 1999, I believe.
0: 99 is when we started working together. We chanced our arm and applied to the Arts Council for one of those uh, millennium projects that they were publicising at the time. And uh, lo and behold, we got it with the idea, which was to convert the whole year of rainfall into a piece of music.
1: Uh, Mikhail, tell me a little bit about about yourself. How
2: long is a piece of string? Yeah. Uh, uh, Okay, no, I mean, it's, uh, I can't say I have one, I have many different backgrounds, really. So I've been always alternating between, it's a bit like my, you know, the tradition from my my late father. So he he worked in the post office during the day and uh, the rest of his time he was a musician. Uh, Etc. But anyhow, so yeah, I've been dabbling with all kinds of stuff throughout my life. The last 25 years, uh, I was in, at the University of Limerick uh, trying to do weird stuff. So I guess to some people, I was just uh, the, uh, the media, interactive media person to go to. I mean, before then, yeah, I worked in the industry for about 20 years.
1: Do you mind me asking where you're from? That I know that's not a very politically correct question at the moment, no. but from your accent uh, and your name, I deduce that you're not from Ballyday okay. originally. I, I,
2: was born on planet, I was born on planet Earth.
1: Fantastic. Uh, uh,
2: an exploitation known as Sweden. <laughs>
1: okay. And do and you have I'm, a background in, you said mentioned industry there, do you have a background in, uh, you know, did you study music or art or?
2: Yeah, I started uh, in, way back in college in the 70s. I did uh, electronics, telecommunications, and then I did an add on that wasn't allowed at the time, which was music. So they said, no, you can't do this. And I still did it. I mean, that's how I am. So in my final transcript, there's electronics, there's telecommunications, and there's music. And my final year project in college was electronic music. So for that, that was a composition, basically electronic music, sound art, uh, and I had built all all the electronics making those sounds. I designed and built myself over a couple of years and sort of... It all came together as one composition In se- finished in 75.
1: So then as soft day, I mean, that's very interesting now. So now I can see that you combine all of those elements you were just talking about, Michael, with then with the kind of uh, like socially engaged practice, Sean, that you bring to the table. Is that how you work together? Not
0: initially. We worked, I suppose, uh, I suppose you call it, we worked fairly traditionally uh, right at the beginning. It wasn't so much... About the engagement. It was m- much more about the concept, really. You know, we've always kind of worked uh, around watery-based issues for some reason. It's just happened, it's kind of evolved naturally. And and really, we we didn't have anything more planned than just that first project. But we had so much fun doing that first project that we decided to keep it going. Because we both, I suppose we both have a passion about um, ecology and, and environmental issues, and I suppose my own studio practice would have would have touched on issues like that quite regularly. Uh, so it seemed kind of a, a natural thing to do to take both of our interests and, and, and kind of explore that further through the projects. And, you know, the conversion of the, of that data that we got from Metairn into a musical composition was very, very exciting um, at the time. And the fact that we, we did a very primitive, uh, by today's standards, Uh, webcast of the live concert um, around the globe, given that um, we didn't have the broadband capacity um, at the time here. So yeah, so uh, I think the, the social engagement part of it came more into it as we were working with different kind of communities of interest as we were looking for different uh, professionals who could give us uh, data sources. So if we identified an issue, say, for example, at the marine dead zones in, in Donegal Bay, we were also then interested in looking at the effect of that on the local population. Were they aware, for example? Most of, most people weren't. What did it mean for them? And that really began that aspect of the social engagement where we started to pull people with us into the project.
1: And so where does this element that you seem to always work with data in some form as a kind of as a as a launch pad or as a starting point where who brings that element to the table is that an interest for both of you or is it from someone in particular?
0: Well Michael's the expert in in, in, in the conversion of data Uh, for me it's about trying to find the data.
1: Go for it Michael I mean is it (laughs) it can you for uh, you know, for a kind of a, a vaguely interested reader or a listener, can you explain to me what you're doing? Are you taking the data and, and uh, you know, transposing that and, uh, to, you know, to, to make compositions or how are you working with that stuff? Yeah, you could
2: call it that. I mean, first of all, I mean, one view
1: of things is that everything is data. I
2: mean, our DNA is data, if you like, but I mean, it's, um, data is it's all through, all over the universe. Uh, and it's seldom appreciated because, I mean, most often it's either hidden away on large hard drives or in the cloud, as people believe it, or it's presented in tables, you know, lots of numbers. And for some strange reason, people have problems with large tables of numbers. And yeah, I, it's not the nicest way to present numbers to understand it. So visually, I mean, traditional people use that, bar graphs and pie charts and whatever. For many, many years, I was fascinated by a thing we call auditory display. That's how to display things taken in with our ears. So, as I have the computer science thing, the part of what I do, that means that it's always fascinating to take a huge amount of numbers and first of all, see, see can, we, can, I, can we write an algorithm that's basically a set of mathematical rules? to make sense out of all these numbers. Uh, so it's like looking at DNA, you know, it's an enormous amount of information, but at the end of the day, that might be uh, a bee, it might be an elephant, whatever, but you know, it's DNA. Uh, so basically looking at these numbers, trying to find the rules, figuring out what the hell is it? Or what, is it, what could it be telling us? basically yeah throwing numbers at the pile of mathematics and see what it sounds like and then so if we don't like what it sounds like we probably got it wrong uh, and if we start to like it then we can tweak it a bit and see if it uh, yeah it's more appealing or more understandable or what we can do with it so it's a bit like you know if you take a to go back to Sean's sculpture, therefore. I mean, yeah, you take a piece of steel and you beat the living daylight out of it to see what it wants to become. So it's a bit like the same thing, but... Using just these abstract numbers. Do you have People a? Do you have a? You
1: know, so like John Cage was famously trying to uh, remove the ego. You know, spent such a huge amount of time trying to uh, trying to make himself not present. Are you operating on, with it like that? I mean, you because you what you said there is that if you don't like the result, then you've probably got it wrong. You're not straying into that terrain of, of uh, trying to remove yourself, are you?
2: I mean, no, when things are definitely flavoured by who we are, I mean, not even John Cage could escape that. <laughs> Nobody can, in fact. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, art is always the uh, in the eye or ear or brain of the beholder. But yes, to a certain degree, you're trying to get an objective overview and still have enough detail of things so that it can be appreciated, hopefully by another fellow human being, or if not appreciated, perhaps hated. I mean, it would be nice if some people hated our work, (laughs) especially the people polluting Cork Harbor, right? And Perhaps the county councilors that fail to put in proper uh, sewage systems in several
0: of the towns and villages around court. They should hate us. I think think right at the beginning, there was an attempt to kind of remove ourselves completely from it, because we were writing predominantly for orchestra. And then we kind of realized, well, you know, both of us play music, both of us could move into that territory of song art quite easily, Um, why don't we? And so later projects, then we kind of put ourselves up front and centre but I I think it's a good point about the artist ego it's the bane of my life and I teach in an art school um, and as I get older I rail against it more and more yeah Cage would have been a huge influence but so would Pauline Oliveris who I luckily got to work with for four years um, and Pierre Scheffer and people like that would have been massive influences on us you're standing on the shoulder of giants when you're when you're working in this territory taking from Cage as well redefining what music is and how music should be. And, you know, the, the genesis of where music originates and it's linked to the political and the social. Are very very important to to solve day as an entity.
1: Great. So you've both touched on. I was just about to move the conversation on away from the kind of theoretical and into the practical and into uh, what you're going to be doing in Cove and what you've already done in Cove. And so you've both already kind of touched on that there. Um, but just for people who might might not be familiar with the, that particular history, I wonder if you could let me know. So you did a residency. I think it was in two thousand and seventeen in the Serious Arts Centre in Cove. Does someone want to pick up that thread for me?
0: We, we applied for an, and received a residency. And being from Cork, I was always aware <laughs> of the history of, of Spike Island, and the uh, Irish steel factory and the, the legacy that it left once it, the, it shut down. So it seemed, you know, because we were working in that direction anyway around water pollution issues, we'd, we'd finished projects like the Marine Dead Zone project in, in Donegal and we, we had done other uh, water. We, we, we did a, a lovely little project called um, uh, Nobody Leaves Until the Daphne Sings uh, about water contamination issues in, in Clare and Galway. So it seemed like a natural thing to do when we were in residency to look at, well, what was the legacy that's in, in the harbour? What's uh, you know uh, what data is available? Could we you know we were we were also aware that Cork County Council was repurposing the the site for as as a park uh, an amenity, and we we were just thinking, well you know people shouldn't really forget what this was and and what you know what what potential damages this has caused and. Uh, and so we set about doing that project. So we 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 linked up with um, a number of organisations, with Chase, for for example, they, was it the Cork Harbour? It's Cork
1: Harbour Alliance for a Safe Environment. I Force. mean, we
0: were so inspired by, by that organisation and their, their long and slow and painful road to try and get some sort of justice about it, uh, about, about the situation. So that compelled us to um, actually write a number of pieces. Uh, so we spent the residency doing field recordings, uh, collecting data where possible, uh, talking to as many people as possible about the situation. We had a great relationship with the Irish Navy uh, over in Hull Boland. They were really, really wonderful to work with. They facilitated us, they they gave us a boat so we could go out and take some samples um, from different parts around where they were working. And then we we kind of sat down and we thought, well, what will be the outcome of, of the piece of music? And And we were aware, I suppose, of of the bells in St. Coleman's, it being what it is. And also there's that tie in, I suppose, historically with a kind of colonialism and the use of bells. Uh, It's no coincidence that when, you know, when the um, conquistadors uh, arrived in Spain, they brought bells with them um, and the bells would ring out to uh, mark territory. And we thought, uh, you know, why couldn't we maybe flip this on its head, this kind of narrative around bells? Um, and actually create a piece of music uh, for the bells that would act as a kind of a subtle a subtle warning uh, rather than a reaffirmation of power as, as bells tend to be used. So, Michael, you might fill it in from there on about how all that happened.
2: Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, the, res- uh, the residences are nice in general. Uh, and the serious one was, in particular, nice because you know Cove is a very, very beautiful little town, and there's so much going on. I mean, has been throughout history, and there's still a lot going on. Uh, there was a lot of activity when we were there. When we were there during the, the summer or whatever, uh, you had the uh, the, uh, the these big ships coming in, line to whatever, you call it. cruise ships, cruise ships, yeah. Uh, with strange people coming in for the, the Titanic experience and you know, unreal, and still you have the backdrop of the the, the old traditional colonial town, mm. uh, and you know in the local little museums there in you know, all the history of what happened during the world wars and everything in Cove, which is you know quite dramatic. So you know understanding place, talking to people and listening to people is always important. But anyhow so we we got our the data we were looking for we harvested that from anything from county council reports to other environmental reports lots of numbers about the uh, heavy metals and toxins and what have you and then we because we were talking bells and you know coal and everything else uh, we uh, discovered that the, 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 the Belsin code was actually one of the largest sets in Europe. However, we did it. I mean, we made a contact with, what's his name? Adrian? Adrian. Yeah, Adrian. And I, historically, he would know some people that I would know in the sort of music domain, computer music being basically, you take the notes and the notes and durations and harmonies become numbers and rules. Uh, and then we applied those rules to the data of all the pollutants, and lo and behold, we got a piece of music out of it that could be played played on the Therion in Cove. Is
1: that is this from uh, water
2: sampling that? Yeah, from water samples for, from 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 Corvia. and uh, Adrian liked it, and you know he agreed to play it and perform it, and. It, that's how that came about. So it's interesting because, I mean, you know, data is kind of limitless. You know. What's the biggest number? Infinite. That was the smallest number, one over infinite. But uh, so you have to massage things into place to fit the number of notes and the playability as well. You know, when the, the carillon is basically these levers. So you have basically two hands and two feet that you can play with and you can play the instruments. So you have to adapt it to the physicality of the real instrument. And uh, then he also took us for the big wanderabout up and down the spire and looking at all the bells and mechanisms, and it's a very nice view from up there. You know? uh, but anyhow, and uh, realizing that this is really a piece of heavy metal music, because those bells, <laughs> there's tons, tons of bronze hanging up there in that tower. Uh, So uh, that's the most powerful piece of music in that sense that we've ever created.
1: I just don't know how I would feel because obviously there's these huge cancer rates in Cove, that there are these very serious impacts for human bodies uh, as well as for everything else that come out of this. Uh, you know this the, how the how the harbour has been treated there. Did it feel strange to be playing out notes that were representing those pollutants over the people who have suffered as a result of those pollutants?
2: Well, it, it's a tricky one because a part of what we came to understand in this process, you know, in, you know, the problem in science is that we're trying to prove is something coincidence or correlation. Or is there a causation? That's always a big difference. And at the end of the day, uh, I mean, no, it's obvious that all these pollutants going out in Cork Harbour, and you know, if Endeavour uh, and others keep go- going there, I mean, it's bad enough with oil refineries and everything in, in the area across. But the question is, what is causing what? And to us, after looking at you know a lot of facts, uh, the more likely cause of the cancer rates in the area is the bedrock. You have the fault line going straight across, coal, north to south, for uh, radon. Okay. And um, the uh, the 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 cancer cases, you get the best correlation best match between counseling case, cases and data when you look at that rather than that, and then any other cause in that environment. That's what I see as a data computing yeah. person. It is that's a fascinating thing, but you know, everything adds together. So you could say perhaps before the steelworks It wasn't such a big problem. Tell me a little bit about the
1: about the amazing shanty that because you predicted the sea shanty craze. We had a sea shanty craze last year, but uh, you guys produced this incredible sea shanty. um, As I roved out one morning, and uh, of course it's got the refrain in it, which goes down, down, Endeavour, down. So this is a highly political, of virtually campaigning piece of music yeah i mean that was very deliberate we we were aware that there were you know there
0: there's a kind of legacy of sea, sh- sea shanty festivals in cove that was one of the things that struck me we'd never uh, composed a sea shanty before so that was the there was the uh the, the task of trying to do that and how could you avoid the politics in a sea shanty Well, it's, it's kind of impossible really and uh there was a group in Cove that we initially approached, the, the Malgoggers, And uh, I think, it, it, like, initially they, they were on board with us, but I think when they saw the finished lyrics, a lot of them got very, very, very cold feet. And then one of them admitted that actually he had a family member who worked for Endeavour, so he couldn't, in all conscience, um, be seen to be singing that publicly. And um, so that side of it fell apart, actually, quite spectacularly, because they were due to perform a live version of it the day that so we we'd planned a live event where the the bells the bells would play and then immediately after that the malgoggers would sing in uh cirrus they would sing the uh the sea sanity for an invited audience uh, with 24 hours to go they they pulled all of that so we ended up trying to convince the poor uh, public on the day to give it a lash but there was there was also sort of problems with the with the melody in particular that the lyrics were you know melody would not be my speciality so when Sirius approached us a num- uh, uh, recently to kind of revisit that whole the whole outcome from from that residency we use it as an opportunity to uh, engage uh, an academic from the University of Limerick who teaches uh, uh, voice we gave the um, our version of of the the Sea Shanty tour, and she basically tidied it up, and made it a bit punchier, changed the melody, the melody slightly, and that actually worked out really really well. And we had worked with so uh, it was Dr. Hannah Fahi uh, was her name. We had worked with Hannah Fahi on a on a, on another project uh, that we did in Dublin, and we put together a scratch choir that she she uh, conducted it was during lockdown so we we had to work remotely and we we she reached out to the choir members uh, who were some of them were students and um, she managed to get a number of them together to actually virtually record uh, them singing the shanty and um, so the the shanty has only ever existed virtually up to this moment um, it's never actually been performed live uh, in front of a public, and and of course, then you know, the, with the phenomena that happened over TikTok and and, and shanties, it just uh, it pulled it from the from oblivion back into the public domain straight away. So that was handy. That was timely. Like 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 the piece that we we composed for the bells. I'm very proud of both the sea shanty and and the bell composition. I think they're they're definitely the most uh, profound pieces that we've done to
1: date. I, I want to move on uh, briefly and talk to you about Ishka Salak because that's another one where, I mean, for starters, water as well. It's something I, I, I've been obsessed with for years, the idea that the one of the very stupidest things that human beings do, well, one of the very stupidest things we did was just install flush toilets in everybody's houses, for starters. And, you know, polluting our fresh, clean water is the stupidest thing nearly that human beings do isn't it not only do not only
0: do we do it but we do it all the time and we don't we don't learn and that that's the problem isn't it it's just human nature can't seem to get over itself
1: yeah the very fact that i mean there's still whatever there is 32 32 coastal towns in ireland where the sewage is pumped directly into the sea i mean it's like (laughs) it's amazing when you start thinking for me this has been
0: the kind of interesting thing since we started working together is that more and more artists are getting exercised about, about the political and the social and the environmental.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, we're, we're beginning to see that now. You know, uh, we all, I think we always felt when we started, we were kind of um, we were slightly out of kilter with our time or ahead ahead of the curve. And now we feel not only is the curve um, sort of joined up but it's also maybe passing us out in terms of what's possible in terms of uh, even the technologies that we would have started out with um, They're they're now more readily available so it means that artists can, can really utilize those technologies uh, for, for best possible purposes
1: Michael, can you tell me a little bit about the Ishka Salak project? Okay, yeah,
2: sure. Really, I mean, the wonderful thing about the time we spent in Sirius and working up the different pieces there was that going back into our famous notebooks, the black notebooks, uh, it's interesting to note that we actually developed a framework for Ishka Salak while uh, Sirius, so you could say we we tr- we tested the waters uh, while in Cove, and uh, when we were done there, I mean that eventually became the proposal that we submitted for uh, to get the eskchachalak off the ground. So part of the issue is what to how to engage more people and how to do the uh, the citizen science scientist thing to get the public out there to sample waters and get the data back and how to go about this. And also scientifically, it's a very interesting challenge how to do a geographically more distributed sample in a limited time frame rather than sampling one point over a long time. So uh, yeah, one element of Ishizala was getting as many water samples as we could handle or afford and to get as much data as we could after that. And so this was the liffey, right? The uh, tribut, uh, the tributaries from Lithium, you know, you think that, you know, in a bigger, bigger place like Dublin compared to Cove. Dublin is slightly bigger than Cove. Only it's physically. Uh, well, yeah, well, the problem is reaching out to, to Joe public. And it's actually more difficult. The larger the, the place is, the more we need to shout and shout repeatedly to get any kind of engagement in the public because people are so busy uh, with their own backsides. So, yeah, that's a challenge in places like Dublin. But eventually we got there. I mean, it took a lot of work to engage people. We did one stint in Science Gallery, or that one, yeah, uh, trying to promote things and uh as per usual as you might imagine some people that would have genuine concerns about the environment at the same time they're so cosmic so spaced out so they can't stick to picking up a, a sample kit on a particular day a particular time they would email us back of three days later and asking where is that kit by the way is there any way i could pick it up down in murphy's public Uh, And things like that, Uh, you know, all these challenges and eventually we got through all of that and we got the data, but, you know, it's an interesting experience. Uh, Also as a reflection while I'm on it, because I'd like to say it, uh, the, uh, you know, the engaged practice that's called in art, uh, in design and in particular in computer-related design, we have a similar concept called user-centered or participatory design. Where you design not out to sort of nowhere, but that where you engage with the community to see, to work with them, let them evolve, and you're only the facilitator, the educated or trained facilitator, sort of shaping it as it comes together. So and there's these parallels in the different worlds between art and science and design uh, that we really use in our practice to make things happen. Uh, as it's, and it's not easy, and, and it's quite interesting.
1: Tell me what you found from all of these water samples. Was there, was there a pattern? Were there, uh, you know, high levels of specific substances of concern or anything like that? Yeah,
2: there, there, there are high levels of things, uh, especially upstream in the Liffey. I mean, the, the closer you get to the mouth of the Liffey, the more seawater it is, of course. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to note that there, there is a difference depending on where the sample is taken. Uh, I mean, even upstream, where it's basically river plus pollution, there are differences in different locations, and some of the tributaries coming in
0: to yeah. are quite shitty. I mean, there was a very interesting sample came out of uh, Grand Canal docks, and uh, that summer, you know, we were, when we were up sampling, there was, uh, you know, kids out in canoes and people were using it as an amenity, but there's high levels of arsenic in the samples from that. Uh, from that area.
1: Wow, uh, any idea what, what's causing it? It's
0: probably the residue from painting boats and ships, you know, the sediment that's down there. So, but that, that was a very interesting um, piece of data. And uh, I wouldn't let my kids swim there. That's all I can say.
1: <laughs> what does arsenic sound like then?
0: This is the thing about it. I mean, I, I famously said that the piece of music sounded like a badger's arse and I was joking, yeah. but it got picked up on <laughs> by the by the press. And actually, it, it, it doesn't. The piece itself actually sounds quite beautiful. And that is the anomaly of, of that composition is that, you know, the data is quite telling and the piece of music is quite evocative. And how, how you know, and what do you make of that? What does that mean? You know, it, you, know you, you would imagine that pieces of music based on, on, on data pollution shouldn't shouldn't be engaging you know um but they are um and that in itself is uh is a strange one that I think we uh, well certainly I'll be reflecting on it for for quite a while because it uh I, I can't seem to get my head quite around it that you can get a beautiful piece of music out of such terrible data um yeah. but there you go
1: do you think that art our- has a place. I mean, it's obvious that you both care deeply about, you know, water quality and the environment and pollution and those issues. Uh, and presumably you want there to be some kinds of changes in in, in the human systems that um, that manage these, these things. Uh, so I'm wondering if you think art is the place to push for that change, or if you're trying to push for change through art, because, you know, as you mentioned there, if you're kind of occluding the, um, the actual information, you know, I mean, you could, have, you could have compiled all that data and then you could have sent around a press release yeah. and written, uh, written a thing like that just says, you know, here, this is terrible, there's arsenic. You know, I can imagine that as a journalist, that's a headline to me. There's arsenic in, in the Grand Canal Dock. That's a huge. That's a huge news story, right? Mm-hmm. So why why is art the approach? I mean, obviously you're both artists, but is it going to have some kind of an an impact, or is that the point?
0: Yeah, to go back to your your first question, what you know is there a role for art in all this? Absolutely, and and if not, why not? And I mean, it goes back to there was a um, um, a very good American writer artist, uh, Susie Gablik, who wrote an essay in 1992 about connective aesthetics. And she was making a very passionate plea at that time for artists to step away from the ego, to step away from the gallery, to step, up, step away from being disconnected to the world and to actually engage with the issues of their time. And I think there is absolutely a role for art. If art is just about art for its own sake, then you know it, it seems pointless to me. Um, uh, art needs to be of its time. It needs to be addressing those issues now more so than ever before um, as we seem to be running out of time. Does our work have a big splash? I've, I've stopped thinking along those lines an awful long time ago. I think we, we whisper. I think we, um, we engage with the people that we engage. We bring people along on a journey and they're the people who carry the story. You know, so talking to somebody um, on the key in Killy Beggs about, about a, a, a dead zone out in the bay and them not knowing about it and them taking away that story and telling others. For me, that's where it's at. You know, I think the big splash headlines get lost in all the chatter that's out there. There's too much chatter. Uh, issues to do with the Anthropocene have people scared shitless. So what's the point of scaring people even more? I think if, you know, someone once said, we saw they were creating a, a soundtrack um, to to our our uh, to our destruction, and uh, I don't see it as bleak as that. But I think we reflect uh, a music based on the data of our time, um, and I think that's important because long after we just dis- depart this mortal call, I'm kind of hoping someone will look back and, and 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 look at the work that we've done and go, do you know what? That was really important. That maybe changed something for somebody along the way. Because I think this world is becoming more and more conservative. I think our institutions are becoming more and more conservative, but they're aligning more and more with business and a neoliberal agenda. And if we allow that to happen, then we're going to get a very, very lopsided view of humanity very, very quickly. And so that that's the space in, in which we work in. Um, and that's the space in which we work behind the scenes. And I think.
1: Michael, do you have anything to add to that? I read this book,
2: Silent Spring. Way back in the 60s just a couple of years after it was published uh, that really uh, started my concerns and i mean still i mean i've lived my life you know in high tech and everything probably polluting more than a, lo- a lot of other people because i i actually love to work in the lab and play around with things and try to Well, anyhow i'm trying to live a bit as i've learned so i mean one of the major issues in water pollution for many years now is clothes, Uh, you know. So, I mean, in years gone past, you know, people would have clothes made of, first of all, wool, which comes from sheep, mainly, uh, or cotton, which comes from a plant, et cetera, et cetera. But nowadays, I mean, 99.9% of the stuff that is being bought and sold in fast fashion and all these horrible things is made out of plastic. No, plastic has fancy names, like pick your favorite, looking at the label of your own clothes. Uh, So people are clothed in plastic, their food is covered in plastic. The food packaging goes into the landfill, right? And your clothes goes into the washing machine and you're getting all these uh, microfibers, nanofibers, whatever, plastic fibers. That goes back into nature. But eventually nature comes back to us, so we get food stuff that now conti- contains plastic nanoparticles packaged in plastic and we eat that again. So eventually some part of humankind will become all plastic.
1: We're, all, we're already there with that. We
2: we're, are already there. We've yeah. we yeah. actually altered so our... Right now, right now, the way I mean, I've realized that, you know, we can make music, we can make art, but I have to some, somehow be honest to myself. So right now, the way I'm living, I'm restoring an old farmhouse, we're keeping sheep and chickens and God knows what, ducks and a donkey. Uh, But anyhow, so, you know, uh, my partner, she's a textile artist, so it's about the wool and growing our own material, making things out of wood that uh, I would find on the land somewhere or the natural materials. So after coming from all these sort of high-tech, sort of artificial materials, I'm back working with very natural materials where possible. It's not always possible. While uh, I'm still very, very concerned, and I, mean, I realize that none of our little compositions or artworks will ever change the world now, at least there's a legacy there of what we were thinking at this time, that we were actually aware of what goes on yeah um apart from that my main concern is trying to be live as careful as i can in this little tiny spot on the planet the time i have and be as happy as possible
1: you've been listening to an arts and culture podcast for tripe and rasheen with me ellie O'Brien. If you like what you hear, please remember that you can subscribe to Tripe and Drachine, the independent, reader-supported, local news substack for Cork City and County, for just €8 Euros per month or €80 Euros per year. You can also follow Tripe and Drachine on social media at T. on Twitter or Tripe and Drachine on Facebook or Instagram. The website is www.tripeanddrasheen.substack.com.